Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Social media is ubiquitous, and there are many redemptive applications of it. We talk about that all the time here at Life Over Coffee, the redemptive use of technology. As we ponder all the common grace ways that we can spread God's fame through technology, When we started this ministry in 2008, that was one of the cliches that I used. How can we use technology redemptively? I saw how the world was using it in non-redemptive ways, in all the ungodly ways that you might can imagine. And I was thinking, what if we flipped it on its head? Or maybe what if we flipped it right side up and used technology redemptively? Well, here we are all these years later, and we have seen God do some phenomenal things as he's transformed lives globally. We get to produce this content freely as people invest in our ministry to help us to do that, and we put it out there freely on the internet and social media platforms. It is a fantastic thing. It is humbling as we we spectate, in a sense, as we watch God do all these wonderful things. And so you can use technology redemptively, and for that, I praise God for all of our social media platforms as well. But as you know, with all good things, there's always this insipid, adamic smell of death that lures people into the darker side of what should be a means of grace. Social media has many untoward temptations, and one of those is the comparison trap that stirs a desire to compete with the culture's view of appearance and attractiveness, acceptance and approval. Many women succumb to this temptation, especially as they age. As one wife asked me, how do I compete with cyber women as my body continues to waste away? She wrote me a letter, and it was so good that I want to share it with you. Now, I have flattened it out. I've edited it just a little bit so that it doesn't point to any geographical place around the world, so you'll not know where in the world this lady's from or her husband. You do not know her name, because that's not important. But because what she wrote was so important, I I do want to share this edited version with you, and I'm going to call her distraught wife. She said, I don't watch porn, but I know my husband has viewed it frequently. Even television bombards my mind with its version of the perfect woman, I struggle with being insecure already, but it becomes worse when I think about how I compete with the ladies on the internet who are always tens. The little bit I have seen of these women makes me realize that there is no way I can compete with them. What am I to do with these thoughts? It's like a mental stronghold, a thought fortress. Whenever my husband becomes angry with me, the thought goes through my mind that he will bolt for another woman. And even if I don't meet his needs, I mean, if, if he doesn't bolt, I know he satisfies himself with these cyber ladies who are in a league all of their own. What am I to do, distraught wife? Many Christian women are in a seemingly impossible situation. The external pressure from movies and television is pumped into their minds 24-7, telling them what is perfect. The dream weavers in the entertainment industry have all the tools to deliver titillating and tantalizing candy to the male ego. Then there's the pressure of porn, because it is a significant and satisfying player in the male's fantasy world. Maybe I should put air quotes around satisfying player, because ultimately it 
it doesn't satisfy. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes, where the eye is never full of seeing and the ear is never full of hearing. It's all vanity. But in a delusional state, it feels like a satisfying player. The fantasy is why the pursuer of the cyber women, they don't have to catch the real one. They're not interested in the real one. Imagine that. It is the imagination that makes the porn so perfect, and maybe I should put air quotes around perfect because it's not. But in the depraved mind it is, all a guy has to do is to look at the perfect woman through the lens of the internet while enjoying her with his mind's eye. It's, a, it's not about being with her. It's about the theater of his mind, full of thoughts, as he plays the hero in every story that he scripts, as he watches these ladies. It is a cyber role play where he tries to satisfy the idols of his heart, comfort and escape and respect and power and control and many other, and many other idols that, that feed his heart, that fuel him. And he sees pornography as a way of satisfying the, the idol's itch. The Christian wife cannot compete with this kind of assault on her marriage. The cards are stacked against her because she can never win him with her strategy. I mean, if her strategy was to compete with perfect competition... What could she do anyway? How would she enter the competition, even if it were possible? The testimony of the Word of God says that none of us can compete with perfection. I mean, that was the purpose, or that is the purpose of the gospel, to come and transform incomplete, broken, and imperfect people. To attempt to become the ideal through self-generated efforts, that's a fool's mission. And I'm not saying that the distraught wife is a fool. She's not. She recognizes the battle, and she knows she can't compete, and she's not going to uh, compete, compete. And I'm not saying you're a fool either, but if you did try to compete with what some of these men are looking at on the inter- Internet, knowing that you can't compare to them, you can't be that perfect person, then that would be a fool's mission, and you would be foolish to do so. It's biblical legalism. Legalism is the relationship-killing process of trying to merit the affection of another person through self-reliant self-effort. Trying to merit your husband's love by being perfect is legalism. You're trying to earn something. Whether you're trying to earn God's love or your man's love, you'll not secure it or sustain it through self-sufficient means. For by grace you are saved. God gives his love by grace. It's not something that's earned. And husbands should provide love for their wives by grace, not something making their wives earn it. Biblical love is a gift given, not a gift demanded or earned. To secure or try to secure and sustain perfected beauty and physicality, that's impossible. I mean, even the cyber women cannot do that. Isn't that the irony of it all? I mean, they eventually become old material, discarded cyber dust. Their shelf life is a narrow window of opportunity, and once they can no longer meet the criteria necessary, guess what? There are new cyber versions of them ushered in to replace them. The impossibility of sustained perfection is why it's delusional. It's why it's a fool's mission to go down that road. The Christian wife cannot be perfect in beauty 
or physicality, please listen to that. Don't try to be. You can't. The porn woman cannot be perfect in beauty or physicality. She becomes cyber dust, too. There is a better way to think about this problem of competing against perfection. And the first place to begin is with a sober-minded shift in worldviews. You can't think about it like competing with the world's version of perfection and beauty. It reminds me of what Lucia, my wife, told me years ago when we were dating. She says, Rick, guys date the girl in the sports car, but they marry the girl in the festiva. Now, if you don't know what a, a Ford Festiva is, I'm not sure if they, if they make them things any longer. But a Ford Festiva, maybe, think of it like a glorified golf cart. So it's a golf cart with, with doors on it. That is a little Ford Festiva. It is something that you can literally pick up with just a few guys. In fact, they did that once upon a time. I did not think it was funny. They did, but they picked up our Ford Festiva and moved it around the parking lot. But that's what Lucia had when we were dating and several years into our marriage. Now, I am unsure if she has statistical data to support her claim that guys date the girl in the sports car but marry the girl in the Festiva, but it, it is a witty line. It's a great pickup line, by the way. I loved her perspective. I also loved the possibilities of not having to purchase an expensive car should we tie the knot, and that has been true all these decades later. Now, there's more to the story. Uh, Lucia is allergic to new carpet, the off-gassing of new carpet that bothers her. And so I was thinking that she doesn't want a new car and she doesn't want new carpet. So we'll never have a new car or a new house. There's potential in this girl that I'm dating. Dating the hot babe in a sports car may be fun, but it is a relationship that you want to give many prayers and supplications if you plan to marry that kind of woman. Dating a girl in a glorified golf cart has long-term potential without breaking the bank or the future bond. Lucia's lack of showiness is one of the many things that made her appealing. I knew that she would be easy to please, and all these decades later, well, that has been true. I also realized that my handsomeness was not was somewhat lacking, and I would never be able to be a 10 for her, and thank God she doesn't want a 10. She's happy with her three, <laughs> her number three that she has. And so I felt as though we could make a go of it. I mean, imagine being married to a woman who had to have the perfect home, the newest car, and the latest fashions. Unbelievable. The needle on her satisfaction meter would always be pointing to a 10. She would always be redlining as that, that needle is in the 10. And, and when it drops down to nine or eight and a half, that, that man has to double down so that he can keep her happy because he knows that her happiness would rise and fall depending on her husband's ability to deliver those uninterrupted 10s. That is an awful relationship. It is an awful way to live. The man who must have a hot babe puts the same kind of pressure on his wife. It's a trap that will kill any marriage.
If the only type of beauty that matters is external, then the relationship is doomed. And I do not mean to be unkind at all. That is not my purpose here. But I think that if you fall for the comparison trap, wife, and continue to fall for that trap, the distraught wife talked about a stronghold, a thought fortress. And if you hang out in that stronghold too long, you may become delusional and detach yourself from the reality of where the state of your marriage really is. And so when I say if the only type of beauty that matters is external, the relationship is doomed, my purpose here is not to be unkind or to hurt anyone, but perhaps to snap some of you back into reality. Because there is another kind of beauty, and many of you have already thought about it. In 1 Peter 3, you know the passage. Peter said, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. Now, Peter's not saying that we should not put on, don't put on clothing, don't braid your hair, and don't wear gold. He's not saying that. You can braid your hair, praise God. I've seen my girls do this many times, and I think it's cute and great and all that. You can wear gold if you wish, or fake gold if you're us. And, of course, putting on clothing. Peter says, don't let your adorning be external. Braiding of the hair, wearing the gold, putting on clothing. But let your adorning be the a hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so he's hyperbolically talking about externality. But what he's really pointing to is what's going on in the heart. That imperishable beauty is where the accent mark is in that paragraph. Now, perhaps you are a woman with imperishable beauty, or you are a woman who is striving toward imperishable beauty. May your kind increase. Perhaps you are that woman who has imperishable beauty, but your husband is looking for something more external. And this is where I don't want to be unkind again, but I think it is important that we snap back into reality because if we let our thoughts wander too long with what our husbands want, then we need to burst that balloon. And so the truth is, is that you're living in a delusional state and and your marriage will never glorify God until it changes. It, let me restate it. It can't glorify God in all the ways that it should until he changes. You can glorify God. Your marriage can glorify God in a lesser way, but not in the fullest possibilities. I mean, what are your choices here? You have two. You can try to be what he believes is beautiful and maintain that for the rest of your marriage. I mean, go ahead and become that per perfect 10. Tuck yourself and Botox yourself and dye yourself and become that perfect 10, but you don't want to go there. You see that. You see that with Hollywood stars. Is, is they don't know anything about imperishable beauty. They're trying to compete, even into their 70s and 80s, as it looks like their faces have been stretched around to the back of their heads. You don't want to do that. That is one choice, but that's not really a choice. The other option, which I do recommend, is to work on your imperishable beauty while trusting God to change your husband's idolatrous heart. I am not advocating being out of shape or letting yourself go physically. 
That would be unwise. That would be unbiblical. It would also be unhealthy. No, continue to work out. Continue to make healthy choices as far as your eating habits are concerned. Continue to put a little pain on the barn, as they like to say. But I am appealing to you to be rational. Be reasonable. Be moderate. Be disciplined. But not a 50-something who is more concerned about how you look on the outside than who you are on the inside. And that is the difference. Think about it this way. If you try to compete with cyber women to make your husband happy, you'll have to become something like a cyber woman. Now, per chance, you could accomplish this feat. Then all you would gain is a man who uses you to satisfy his lust. You would be a, again, I want to be careful here, but to snap back for those who maybe are lingering too long in a delusional state, you would be a Christian prostitute. His fascination with perfected beauty, it's not about love at all, but unrestrained lust. Would it make you feel better to have your husband lusting after you rather than lusting after other women? Now, I know that some wives would say yes, and I understand the impulse to say yes. I get it. But is that the kind of marriage that you want? I know that when, when you pillow your head at night, the answer to that would be no. That is not the marriage that you want, even though there could be a strong temptation to yield to to his lust, to his idolatry, to give him what he wants. But you have to realize you can never maintain that. I mean, at best, your marriage, it would be some kind of mutual need meeting and negotiation. That would probably sound something like this. The husband says, I will love you as long as you look a certain way. The wife says, I will look a certain way as long as you love me. Beautiful women, nice toys, drugs, they have one thing in common. They are idols of the lust-depraved heart. To compete with the cyber women or a cyber woman is to be a cyber woman. To give your husband his perfect, beautiful image of a woman, to make him happy is similar to appeasing a child who is throwing a tantrum, demanding you acquiesce to his infantile babbling. Give him his toy and he will be satisfied. Well, He's not going to be satisfied. You're just feeding his addiction. It's similar to giving a crack addict another bump to take another trip. As long as he can get his fix on, he will be happy. Put happy in air quotes there. He's not happy. He's delusional. He's living in the world of a mirage. The answer is not to see how obese and ugly you can become, and it's not to see how beautiful and perfect you can become. The answer is how you relate to God. As a married woman, regardless of whether your husband follows you in your pursuit of holiness, if he does not follow you as you follow Christ, you'll not have a husband and you'll not have a marriage that will glorify God the way that he could and the way that it should. If you fall into the competition trap, then, well, it, God will not be glorified. You will not glorify, glorify him, and neither will your marriage.
And so the first thing that you'll have to do is to address your heart, especially if you are tempted to compare yourself to other women and to pretzel yourself into becoming whatever that version of woman you have in mind. You'll have to change if thinking about the competition manages your mind, creating that thought fortress that holds you captive. Since your spouse is not listening or your spouse is not asking for help, but you are, then begin with yourself. And this is the message that I would give to the distraught wife. She's the one that wrote the letter. She is the one that's thinking and living in reality. She is the one that recognizes that she cannot be what her husband is tempting, maybe unwittingly tempting her to become. Since he did not write the letter and seem seemingly he doesn't care, but you do, then start with yourself. You'll have to come to the place to where you do not need your husband's approval or acceptance or affection. I'm not suggesting that you be aloof or that you be rude, but you cannot be managed by him. His opinion and what he wants cannot be the primary thing that controls you. Now, you'll also have to lose your fear of losing him. I mean, if he's already looking at porn, then you do not have him anyway. You're merely one of his porn women, just not the one that he wants. And so I know that those things are hard to hear. I, I realize that I'm not detached from the things that I write. I'm not. And as I've said before, my desire is not to be harsh or unkind, but I see women falling into these traps, and they need someone to come alongside and, and to throw the wet towel on their faces to snap them out of that track that they are in. And they need to snap into the other track of imperishable beauty and pursue that whether their husbands pursue or not. I do want to take a little bit of time to talk to girlfriends, those who are about to get married, because the problem of this distraught wife that she's articulating about her husband, it did not begin when they got married. It did not start after the altar. Paul talks about a former manner of life, and this husband brought his former manner of life into his marriage. Girls, ladies, you who are about to get married, you need to understand this. You need to know that your boyfriend has a former manner of life, and you need to have the courage and the grace to ask all the appropriate questions that you need to ask to find out what's going on. Strangers marry each other. But you can do a lot. You can go a long way in familiarizing yourself with the stranger that you are going to marry by asking appropriate questions, but questions that help penetrate beyond the, the surface and the facade of what a dating relationship can be. You can run away if lust has trapped your boyfriend. I mean, Paul recognizes that and says that in 2 Timothy 2.22. Break up while you have a chance, or you better make sure that you're both getting help. <clears throat> it is straightforward to discern where, where your boyfriend is regarding these things by how he treats you. How does he treat you? Is he kind to you? Is he patient with you? Does he respect you? Does he honor you? Does he live on the edge, the sensual edge, and does he draw you to that sensual edge? If he does, he's using you. 
you will become the Christian prostitute after you get married. If you're dating now and you're exploring these things, you're in a good spot. If he is more interested in your sanctification than your beauty, then that is the kind of guy that you should be interested in. If, he's, <clears throat> if he is not leading you spiritually, then you better pause and you better reflect on your relationship. By all means, seek biblical wisdom. Get that counsel you need. I know the temptation here, and I know how strong it is, especially as you get closer to the altar. Many girls have thought, and, and they've said this after they've gotten married, it's like, I knew when we were going to the altar, I knew on the day of our wedding that this was a mistake. But they think about the pressure of calling off the marriage and that pressure is too great at that moment. And I do understand that pressure. And so they go on and they tie the knot and then they live decades of regret. And so that's where you have to ask the question, which is worse to make one of the most difficult decisions you'll ever make in your life before you get married or to live in a prison after you're married? If you have to win him with your beauty, you will lose him shortly after marriage. Beauty is skin deep, and if that is the depth of your boyfriend's thoughts about you, nobody can compete with that fantasy. And that is the world that we live in. Parents, as you listen to this or watch this on the video, I trust that you will talk to your girls about this. You have peripheral vision. You know more than they do. You have an eschatological understanding. You know what's happening, what's going to happen in the future. You know the deal. And if that boyfriend is treating her in ways that are, are that lean into what I'm talking about here, then you know it's a mistake. I'm not suggesting that your daughter would listen to you. Many of them don't. They want to make that decision, and love is blind, as we like to say. But perhaps God would use you as a means of grace. Maybe it will not change her mind, but maybe it will just give her a seed thought. And then as you pray and just water and plant, maybe God will give growth to that seed thought. And perhaps it could change, uh, change her life, her life trajectory, but also uh, change her to where she doesn't end up in a marriage prison. But if, he has to, if she has to win him by how she looks, how she dresses, it's a presentation. It's external. Beauty is vain. And eventually he will discard her and he will replace her. I mean, he may stay in the marriage. I'm not saying that he will ever get a divorce, but he will replace her in his mind. And he will do what the distraught wife was saying in that letter. Follow the advice of God's word rather than the mandates of our culture. Beauty is vain. Do not try to keep up with culture's temptations. Proverbs 31.30 is what I'm talking about. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You might not be able to ever change your husband, but you can change you. Pursue imperishable beauty. You have to choose how you want to suffer if you're in the place of the distraught wife. One of the hardest things for a woman who feels the need to compare herself or to compete with cyber women is to realize the actual condition of her marriage. Though it is a cold and harsh reality, she must accept the truth about what is happening with them. Disbelief regarding reality 
will hinder anyone from getting to where they need to be in their journey with God and with others. And so as you begin to accept the reality of your marriage, you'll have to guard your heart against anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentfulness, and regret. You'll also have to protect against retaliating towards your husband. Sinning in response to sin is never the right answer. You'll also have to guard against becoming angry at God. There will be a temptation to sin against Him. Sovereign Lord, you knew that I was going to marry this man. You knew how things were going to be. And we do have to guard our hearts because there can be a strong temptation to sin against God. None of these things will honor Him. None of these things will make His name great. They will also hinder you from accomplishing your heart's desire to win your husband's affection, to restore your marriage, and to magnify the name of God. Being mean and snarky toward your husband will not win him to God. Do not be that wife. If you have followed these ideas closely, you have discerned how you are up against two impossible situations. It does not matter which way you go. I mean, it does matter. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the path, the path you choose, will be hard and hurtful. If you try to compete with cyber women, you will eventually realize it's impossibility. That's a suffering path you do not want to go down. If you decide to set aside your desires while seeking to win your husband to Christ, well, you will suffer that way too. But the difference between the first and the second options is that the Lord is not against you if you pursue setting aside your desires for His fame, regardless of the outcome. He gives empowering favor to anyone who chooses His path of suffering versus the world's path of suffering. He will oppose you if you try to win your husband by replacing the cyber women in his life with your version of cultural beauty. No, he wants you to pursue imperishable beauty of the heart. Trying to be a cultural woman, competing against cyber women, that's not winning your husband. It's merely switching his drug from them to you. It's idol swapping. Christians do not compete with the world. We are set apart from the world. And if the world does not want to follow our lead, including your husband. It is their loss, and it is your cross to bear. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.